This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come to life. Hello and welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Jones, and uh, with me in studio, I've got a couple um, special guests. Um, we're here uh, welcoming some colleagues from the University of Minnesota. Um, Vichat Chun, welcome. Hi, Eric. And, uh, and uh, Marina uh, Alexio. Yes. Did I say that right? Marina Leshu, but that okay. works. <laughs> that works. Aleshu. Uh huh. Okay, that's that sounds much better than my pronunciation. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, we're here to we're talking about a lot of things, but um, in in particular, um, Cambodian American identities, families, um, and futures is uh, is uh, is kind of on tap today. Um, now, you are both at the uh, University of Minnesota. Um, that's right. How how long have you how long have you been there? I've been there for 12 years. Okay. Uh, it's a stretch of time. You're an old timer now. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first job. <laughs> my first job coming out of school. So, and you know, it's, uh, uh, I'm going to be there for a little while, I think. <laughs> and, and Marina also. Yeah. I yeah. actually did my doctoral studies there uh, okay. at the university and then started working, but in the position that I'm in since 2013. And uh, and you're and you're both at the at the at the College of Education um, there in in various capacities. Is College right? of Education and Human Development. And Human Development, okay. Right. <laughs> um, well, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. And uh, we have uh, we have kind of interesting. Maybe maybe to start our um, listeners off, I really enjoyed a story you told. Um, get us into a time and a space. Uh, tell us about your Starbucks oh, Cambodia Star- story. My Starbucks story. moment. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Not, not, a, not a sponsor <laughs> of the podcast. Is, uh, yeah, I, I, um, and I'm not anti-Starbucks either, necessarily. I am anti-Starbucks in Cambodia, though. <laughs> yeah, they have really good coffee options. The, um, <laughs> now, the story, the, story, the story is that, um, and, and, I, and I say that this is a very Cambodian-American story in, in which um, a friend of mine from Minnesota, and uh, her name is Shammy. I'm going to just are call you, her. Gonna name I'm going to name her. And then hopefully <laughs> when she's listening to this, she'll know what I went through to get this souvenir mug for I her. hope you appreciate it, Shammy. At, request, at her request, she, she asked for those silly souvenir mugs to say Starbucks whatever city. In this case, it was Starbucks Cambodia. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing this, right? Uh, you know. Uh, uh, and so... I felt bad. She guilt tripped at me, and so I went to Starbucks in Cambodia. Actually, Marina was with me, and I went with my cousin. And I didn't order a drink. I think you ordered a drink. I <laughs> sure my, did. My, <laughs> and my cousin ordered a drink, and I paid for it. And I got her her souvenir mug. And the barista said, uh, "Oh, you know, what's your name?" And I said, "My name is oh, my name is Vichet." And he wrote it, no problem, which is the very first time that's ever happened. When I say my name is Vichad, and he wrote it on the cup, and then <laughs> yeah, that, that's what that's what happens when you're in Starbucks in Minnesota, right? They 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 perfectly um, yeah. write your name in Kamai. Well, it, it takes about th- it, it extends the order about three minutes because they're like, "What's your? Oh, how do you spell that? Oh. Well, what's your name again? You know?" And so, but because my name Vichad is very Kamai, very uh, very um, 
common in Cambodia. It's like a John or a Michael. He wrote it, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's amazing. And then my cousin said, "Well, he even wrote Wang Vichet, which is like very like respectful and mm. like big brother Vichet." And so, so it's just a it's it's a it's a really, uh, you know. I, and I said it's a Cambodian American story, so it's this uh, moment in which I, 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 I describe it as a feeling like I both sold out and felt incredibly <laughs> validated. <laughs> so, so you're welcome, Shami. <laughs> and so, and I mean, and maybe that's a point to follow up with, you know, in your sort of research, identities, families, and futures, like your. Uh, if you don't mind sharing y- your own kind of immigration okay. story, I think that that maybe will inform a bit of for our listeners your 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 interests and your context. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the um, the stories I'm telling, the the things I write about, the things I've um, the things I teach about are um, they're born out of where I come from, you know. Yeah. And I and I always say I, I'm I am literally a child a baby of the Khmer Rouge in the sense that I was born in a Khmer Rouge labor camp. And um, and anybody about my age, any um, Khmer person. Cambodian. For the listeners, you could do the math and, and roughly right, how old, right. uh, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not saying. Yeah, okay, so, so that means I am born between 1975 <laughs> and 1979. <laughs> so but people, people born during that time period will have um, this sort of um, c- uh, common bond that you were born yeah. during a very difficult time in Cambodian history. So I was born in a Khmer Rouge labor camp. And so I always share that because it, it connects me to, um, to war and genocide and colonialism and um, some dark things, you know. But it, it also connects me to hope and, uh, and to some, some things that um, it connects me to resilience and survival, right? And so... Um, yeah, so that's and I guess it, it 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 makes it impossible for it to be just a pa- you know as as researchers you have your own kind of passing interests that you like it's 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 like it's yeah. like this 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 will always be a part of you know you that, and that's your, the lens in which I yeah <laughs> understand understand things and and you know how I calibrate things and you know and so yeah that's that's a little bit about me and um, that's where where I come from and that's how I come to understand um, sort of. Um, Cambodian American experiences, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and it's important, obviously this is a, it's always important to talk about it, but it seems like maybe more than ever to, to have some light and expertise on, on this topic in, in, in the United States and globally. Um, the, the, your, your discussion, your research about um, racial and ethnic categories and ethnic options, I found really interesting. Um, Maybe maybe talk to us about these uh, about what they mean and sort of socially constructed nature of them and how they're political and, and the other kind of component parts of of um, ethnic options and ethnic categories. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. So um, my some of my um, earlier work has been with um, Cambodian youth and how they sort of understand themselves. In relationship okay. to um, uh, identity, um, Cambodian youth in the United States, C- Cambodian American, youth. Cambodian, yeah. Cambodian okay. youth in the United States. Uh, many of them are U.S. born. Um, some of them are not, but they uh, ha- they grew up in the United States. They might be one point five, like myself, who was uh, uh, born in Cambodia, uh, but uh, grew up in the United States. Meaning, that a- almost all my schooling was in the United States. Hence the hence the one point five. Hence straddle the 1. those, 5, yeah. yeah, or second gen, right? So yeah. you. Clearly, U.S. born. I always borrow like a phrase from Viet Nguyen. I say, you know, I was um, 
uh, adapted from Vietnam, uh, the writer. And I always say that I was born in Cambodia, but made in the USA. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so, th so those are the experiences I'm interested in. Um, not just not just because um, it's it's biographical for me, but because these were some of the the young people I would come into contact with when I was in schools, when I was working in schools, and so I became very interested in how they they made sense of um, not just how they saw themselves, but how they thought other people saw themselves, and so um, and um, and I had already been aware of um, growing up Khmer. Khmer is the ethnic group of Cambodia and the language for Cambodians. Growing up Cambodian, growing up Khmer, um, I had always been aware of a, a kind of um, stigma associated with that because uh, Cambodians are refugees largely in the United States and Cambodians um, do not fit uh, the sort of uh, successful Asian American uh, stereotype. Uh, people call it the model minority. Cambodians are always the not non-model minorities are always used as the sort of like reason why all Asians aren't the same, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah. So maybe maybe again for thinking about our listeners, like the the the, the model minority mm -hmm. sort of trope, like what what is it, and um and maybe maybe as a follow up, how does it work on and on Cambodians? Yeah, I think I think I think it, it is certainly it is certainly a trope that is. Um, that has um, that is, is racial in nature. It actually, races in nature. Um, it is the stereotype and the perception that um, this racial category, people who are Asian, Asian descent people, are all uniformly successful. Hence, the model minority, right? And, and <laughs> that somehow the largest continent by far, in the would, would the, that everyone's experience would be uniformly similar. It's, an, it's, a, it's, it's an American uh, invention. Yeah. Right, and it's, and it's an American invention used to discipline other uh, minority groups to say, "Hey, why aren't you more like?" Yeah, like they made it. You know, it is part of the sort of bootstraps um, kind of mm. mythology, right? You know, and so it's a, a, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a critique of African American experiences. You know, to to, and it's a. a it's used to sort of buffer and to um, silence um, uh, sort of like legitimate um, legitimate grievances against uh, about structural inequities. And so most most of the sort of model minority um, stereotype is is are they are they are they trying to are they trying to summarize sort of mostly an East Asian immigrant experience. Uh, Chinese, Japanese, the Korean. What's the what's the where's where's the locus of this stereotype? I think um, I think I think that's an early I think that's an early um, version of the stereotype. I think that's an early origin of the stereotype okay. was like East Asians, right? Because because these were some of the um, some of the earliest a Asian descent communities in the United States. Right. I think I think in today's world, it's it's more expansive. So now they're saying every, if you're Asian, you. Like the Depen it depends, right? Yeah. So, and that's why Cambodians are so. That's why Cambodians, and not just Cambodians, but other, I would say, um, other uh, newer arrivals, and I would and I would say other uh, more working class um, communities. Um, uh, I think they 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 they're they're used in that way, to um, to to say you know hey listen, uh, there is there's not an issue you know these these guys go to school. They get good jobs. 
they have low crime rates, you know? And in some cases, their parents don't get divorced. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, if we just act, if we're just co- culturally more like them, you'll be all right. You know? So it seems like a double, like, you, and, and, you know, and, and I'll ask you to talk about this, but in say some um, uh, particularly sort of socioeconomically depressed population of, say, of a, of a, that a, a, a Cambodian American might find themselves in, like the, a double edged sword where you're supposed to, like, you're supposed to already be successful and somehow none of these things that are happening to you in, in long beach or whatever are, are, are supposed to, you're supposed to just rise above them miraculously. And, and, and you're, um, uh, you know, you're not, um, you're not being a good Asian or I do you like how, what, what, tell us a bit about what you found. Yeah. It's a double edged sword in the sense that, well, uh, if, if you're like me, (laughs) <laughs> and went to school and went to college and and um, got you got 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 a college degree or in the person that became a doctor. Well, you're supposed to, you know, that's that's you're supposed to. You fit the stereotype, right? Okay, but right. If you, yeah, um, and but then um, there are Cambodian there are Cambodian students that struggle. There are Cambodian families that struggle, and then they fit this other stereotype uh, that is. Um, Stigmatizing to Cambodian, you know, saying that well, they're um, they don't care about school. They're welfare recipients there, yeah. And so, um, and uh, so it's it, it is that sort of like uh, well, um, that it's an essential. It's a it's always an essentialization either way, right? They can't just be. Do you know what I mean? Right. There got to be something. How how maybe maybe. Tell us about um, for those who don't know, like what what are what are some of the challenges that um, that socioeconomic and other you know barriers that some of the um, the the group that you know best, the sort of Cambodian Americans, what are what are give us a sense of the kind of hill that they're expected to climb? What are some of the challenges that are put in front of them? Cambodian, Cambodian Americans, um, you, you could just you could. Think about it: is that how how are they incorporated into this particular society? And Cambodian Americans, by and large, are still a refugee community, and um, and so the uh, the majority of Cambodian families um, are part of U.S. society as through refugee asylum. That means they didn't pack up their bags one day and just said, "I'm coming to the United States to start a new life." We, uh, Cambodian Americans. We're fleeing war and genocide. So the push factors of and the very traumatic and and you know m- you know kind of epically traumatic. Um, They're involuntary uh, yeah. immigrants to the United States. So so that's yeah. a ba- that's a base starting point. That's and then point. and then uh, and can we assume that probably coming with little to no means that they're able to bring with them if they're if they're as refugees, right? Yeah, little to no means, Mo- most likely no means, <laughs> right? You know, and um, so they're they're going they're, they're they go wherever they're placed, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and then and then what happens? Uh, say um, uh, maybe in, in in your experience or other what what is what is the what are the norm? What are the norms for um, how they might grow up, go to school, um, think about career? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it depends, right? Um, but for a lot of families. Um, uh, for a lot of families, let's say the largest the largest Khmer community is still in California. For a lot of families, um, you're um, just like other communities. If you're sort of dealing with poverty, um, 
You're so poverty is a baseline, probably. Po- po- poverty is foundational yeah. to this experience. Um, you're more than likely to live in neighborhoods and communities where the schools are also dealing with those issues uh, and then right. add the concentration of poverty, right? And schools that deal with those issues probably don't have um, the most experienced teachers. They don't have the, the best kinds of funding. They don't have extracurricular, you know, and so... Um, Coming into a second language environment for the, language the, the environment. parents and the kids. Yeah, um, and many of their parents, not all, but many of these parents may not be literate in their own language, right? Because uh, many of the refugees come from rural agricultural backgrounds, right? And I don't mean to say all of it, but I think, I think, um, I think there are uh, many families who, um, whose uh, parents themselves didn't get to go to school. And so now they have to learn, they have to, they're expected to help their children navigate a system in another country. Yeah. So, so these are just some of the sort of like, um, some like the immediate uh, kind of issues that come up when uh, Cambodian families began se- began settling in the United States in the 1980s. You mentioned in in your work and your talk that that uh, that Cambodians themselves and the Cambodians you've interviewed, um, you know, they 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 reference um, the quote unquote the ghetto when they're talking about um, themselves and and maybe other populations. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can maybe help help us. Jeff, some maybe some narratives you could share about like the the what that means for them. Why why did why do they invoke this word? And oh, why, the ghetto. Yeah, the ghetto. Oh, I mean, um, <laughs> I mean, I think I think they invoke they invoke the word to to refer to some real material conditions that they themselves are experiencing. Yeah. Um, and then and then some 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 conditions that they probably imagined. Right, um, um, I I think for the for the youth I I've been working with and and, and talked to and as part of uh, my work, um, they they know they know these experiences very well. Even at, even when they're trying to distance themselves from them, um, the ghetto refers to basically uh, places that are um, you know uh, riddled with poverty, sometimes riddled with crime, riddled with drugs. Places that you don't necessarily want to be. Um, I'm guessing a, a dearth of opportunity. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very uh, low, low employment. Yeah. Um, yeah. The ghetto, the ghetto is, um, and it, it's, it's in popular culture, right? You know, yeah. they, they use the word because it's in songs, it's in movies, it's in, you know, and so, um, yeah. And, and they're, and they're, they're using it, um, to describe to describe real real life conditions that they know that many Cambodian families um, um, experience, right? They live in. Could you share some of the maybe some of the a few anecdotes about the maybe the identifiers or that some of the Cambodian American um, youth that you interviewed for your research, like how they how they talk about themselves, how they um, what they think about um, their situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I think so. I was very interested in this um, in the, in in the idea of like pan ethnicity, right? And I was drawing from a literature that talked about like pan ethnicity, which is kind of like an Asian American um, label, an Asian American identity that is that is largely political, right? Um, 
Asian Americans. Um, it's still a relatively new uh, thing um, to, to identify as Asian American. I identify as Asian American, and I do so um, really as a, as a sort of um, as a political move. As a, as for for solidarity for solidarity um, and um, for race r- racial solidarity um, and but um, but it's also invokes something else right that we discussed <laughs> earlier it invokes it invokes in some moments the model minority right? yeah and I was thinking there there's also like this this way that y- if you think about like a like a Cambodian um, American student they, you know they might feel very much their Cambodianness and 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 the and the place that they're living in currently. Um, but they, you know, you get on a bus and a sort of an, an, an angry racist is just like, you know, um, you're Asian, uh, all Asians are, you know, they, they, they're, they're whether, even if, even no matter how they're identified, whether it's model minority, which, which is kind of like people don't know that they're being racist by, by invoking, they don't think they are by invoking that they're being, paying them a compliment or whatever they're mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. about themselves. But, but then, but then, and then straight up, you know, full frontal racism where they're getting, uh, you know, they're, they're being assaulted with, um, you know, pan-ethnic, uh, in, in, in good and bad ways. Right. Like, is, am I, am I wrong about that? Like, um, no, I don't think you're wrong about it, but I, you're, you're basically talking about there, there are lots of ways to be racist. Right? <laughs> yes, there, there are more ways. Than and we, and we sometimes there's more intellectual ways to be, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so, so, so my work really looked at, um, for what, what I, what I was really concerned with was like a kind of like, um, issues of self-worth and issues of self-esteem for Cambodian young people who, who, who felt like they could not be proud, you know, and they couldn't, um, identify, uh, proudly with, um, a Cambodian ethnicity, you know, um, uh, they, they, they actively tried to distance themselves from their community, from that identity, um, and in essentially from um, their own history, you know, because yeah. because of the discourse around being what being Cambodian meant, you know, and often it like uh, it often like invoked feelings of like uh, or invoked images of poverty in some cases, uh, uh, gang membership, you know, especially for boys. You know? uh, I'm, I'm thinking about tell the I the I've been thinking ever since you mentioned it about your story about crazy with the, with a K. Crazy uh, with a K. Um, <laughs> tell us about, tell us about crazy. Crazy with a K. Crazy, crazy with a K, the young man who, uh, was, um, very enthusiastic <laughs> to, to participate in the research. Um, and, and pe- in part because he, he got to know me already through his friends. Okay. Um, I, I had worked with crazy and other, and some of his friends in another after school program. So they knew me outside the school context, but when I was in school, they, they, he was a lot more familiar with me. Um, and um, yeah, so uh, crazy, crazy with a K. And I and I always tell audiences that I didn't pick these names because I allow the I allow the the participants to pick their own pseudonyms. Oh right for the for the for the research. So some of the things they come up with. Usually, they I just mean, it's a great it's a great <laughs> name. I mean, you should really think about a career with this name. I think it came from like. Bone thugs and harmony, with crazy okay. bone. <laughs> yeah. um, right. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I just said, "All right, are you sure you want this?" And he goes, "Yeah." <laughs> and it was so. All right. Yeah. But but crazy with a K was somebody who did um, who did very much see himself as uh, 
Cambodian, and, and, he, and he, he had no problem with that. He was very proud of that, right? Um, and, um, and, and my concern for him was that what did that mean to him, you know? And it seemed mm. like what, what um, the options that he had for being Cambodian seemed like was to be, um, to be like, uh, I guess, kind of a badass, right? Or somebody who um, was maybe at best apathetic, towards school and at worst just like reject school altogether and i and i certainly tough he was a tough guy he was a tough guy um he was a sensitive tough kid um uh and i my concern was that um that he was associating cambodian identity with with largely negative negative things at least in relationship to school achievement you know and when i talked to him about it he just he just shared stories that well, I mean, every signal I get or the communication I'm receiving from teachers is that I'm not worth their time, right? They've already written me off, you know? And so um, so that was my concern for, for crazy. It, it struck, and, I, and I mentioned this to you, but it struck me that like when I, I was teaching in the um, prison education program at, at San Quentin in grad school and the Cambodians that I had who were pr- inmates uh, in, in a, this was like a world literature class, they inordinately carried the weight of of many worlds on their shoulders. It was it was, um, I mean, right? It just could have been the selective like three or four who I had in that class, but like um, it 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 was, um, and you know, I think later like processing the way that the 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 genocide and the and the immigration story and the like all of those things, I you know. It factored into like the I could see like a person like crazy, um, mirrored to that like where there's there's this, uh, you know, a can- an assertion of Cambodianness is to be one one iteration of that is to be tough and to be a badass as you mm-hmm. say, um, mm-hmm. and is that is that about survival in this in this, you know, um, these pretty bad neighborhoods they live in, or where does that come from? Do I you think, think? I think in part it's about survival. I think in part it's about a search for, for a positive sense of self. You know? Yeah, and and that's not you know, uh, being tough, being resilient. Those are good. Those are good qualities. You know, and if 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 um, if that's what's available to a young person, to a young man, um, and and unavailable to him is, you're a good you're a good student. You know, you're worth our time. We're going to invest in you. If that's unavailable to him, then it's almost, um, it's reasonable that he would uh, ad- adapt these strategies, right? It's reasonable uh-huh, that he okay. would adopt this kind of identity. Like, he's uh, he's crazy with a K. He's not actually crazy, right? He he, he He's making <laughs> sense. You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Um, well, another, another uh, really interesting issue you brought up was... Um, Asian American ethnic options. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. What what is that? What does that mean? I, I, it's a playoff uh, of it's a playoff of book I like by Mary Waters, okay. somebody I admire who uh, who wrote a book on called Ethnic Options. Whose research? She's a sociologist, and she's she she, she was um, writing about the ethnic options that um, a lot of white European Americans had, right? And the, and the and the and the things they would do to um, emphasize their. Um, they're European, like different European here, like uh, so d- Germans, Irish the Germans, and things, yeah, yeah, German heritage, and, you know, Swedish and things like that. And she was talking about this sort of like 
ethnic option, the privilege they had they had to assert these uh, different kind of identities that were largely symbolic. Yeah, and 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 you know mm-hmm. they were they were kind of additive, but they're largely symbolic. You know, and I was talking about Asian American ethnic options as having real consequences for for Cambodian youth. So it was just um, uh, I like I just like the I just like the uh, the concept of that right. And so, right, it's not it's not just a playful. Oh, it's a dish we eat, uh, a food, no. but but it's but it, it can have a real in impact. My, yeah, and my argument was that there were there were material consequences for for these um, kind of like um, for these moves for for these for these identities. Sometimes they're sometimes they're uh, self imposed, and sometimes they're externally composed. Right? Sometimes they're embraced, you know, and sometimes they're sort of uh, you know forced upon. Right. Do you see do you see instances where um, sort of Asian Americans are sort of owning the stereotype and deploying it like you know um, using sort of absolutely um, um, to yeah. to you know pa- passing as sort of pan Asian versus like asserting uh, maybe a, a more Asian minority position or like how do, how does that have you seen instances yep, of yep, that yep, yep, yep. and I think and it's not just young people I think. Um, I think Asian Americans do this, <laughs> and I think this is a this is the um, this is a kind of uh, uh, disappoint for me a, a personal disappointment in, in Asian American life that Asian Americans do this themselves, and it, and and what's interesting about that is that um, it's actually just an embrace of white supremacy <laughs> in, in another way, right? You know, it's an it's the ethnic disidentification that I talk about in in um, in my work. Is really um, an embrace of white supremacy, you know, in another form, right? You know? Is some of it exhaustion? Like, I'm I'm tired of explaining against the overwhelming prevailing assumptions about like, and yeah. I'm just going to go with the flow. I mean, uh, I think. Well, what, uh, well, let's see, let's see. What do you mean by that? Go with the flow. Well, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the sort of prevailing racial assumptions about. Oh yeah, know, Asia, like rather than like continue to. Part, no, no, actually, it's this specific. No, actually, like, well, you know, uh, yeah, I uh, think I think they don't just. I I think some Asian Americans don't just go with the flow. I think they actively contribute to, oh, okay. to, to, to to those um to those beliefs um and and yeah, I think I think they're they're active participants in in, in those assumptions. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. That could be that's obviously much more menacing than going with the flow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I know something that uh, that you, Chet, you and, and Rena had involvement, in, if I'm not mistaken, was um, the the issue of um, Cambodian de- deportation uh, uh, and immigration injustice. Um, so, uh, I, I our listeners might not know what we're talking about here. So, maybe give a context of of of. And you have the sort of Minnesota case right in front mm-hmm. of you, but mm-hmm. it happened, you know, nationwide. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you go ahead? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I think um, uh, a lot of well, let l- let me put it like this: um, just kind of like the stuff with Cambodian youth and identity, it was just stuff that came up in my sort of um, in my interactions with um, with young people, right? Um, and um, I've always I've always thought of myself. Well, I, I don't know another way to think about myself. Other than a kind of accidental academic, in in the, in the sense that this is another case of that in which um, there was there were these um, imminent deportations happening in Minnesota. These eight these eight men 
were um, detained by... This is the Minnesota 8? Yeah, they, they called, so they, called. They dubbed themselves later the Minnesota 8. Um, um, and um, yeah, they were detained and um, I was called to, to provide some support. So, so they, I guess, tell our listeners, they were they were detained... Um, by, by ICE, by Homeland Security, by Immigration Customs Enforcement. They were contain, um, detained and they were being um, uh, beginning the process for removal, for deportation. And and this is in the recent past, but but based on a tougher enforcement of and the nineteen ninety six deportation, right, right, tough on right. crime kind of law, is tough that on, right? Yep, yep, yep. So in nineteen ninety six, um, uh, so, uh, there was um, some laws that changed that made it uh, more efficient and um, uh, easier to deport individuals with um, with certain kinds of convictions. Um, you know, the. And Marina teaches about this squarely. So So I think that's how we connected. We came into that campaign or this fight quite from different (laughs) angles, you know, uh, each very embedded into the Cambodian community. And I'm more looking at through immigration policy. And I think the the start of the uh, removal of Cambodian refugees began in 2003. I think that's the earliest post 9-11 you know, the, the U.S. government pressured uh, a lot of different countries to start receiving, you know, uh, people that had orders. So, so it was, it was any, anyone with a, was a felony? What, what's the, what sort of the bar? What did the... the well, it, it's, there are several criterias, you know, but really it's under this umbrella of aggravated assault that includes okay. a variety of different crimes, some, some violent, some nonviolent. Um, and if I think they have to be convicted for more than one year for it to be yeah if they're know, eligible, eligible yeah they're eligible to serve a sentence for a um, uh, 365 days or more um, in immigration law that constitutes an aggravated felony it's classified as that even if the state conviction doesn't consider it um, an aggravated oh felony. wow yeah so so this so this would apply to someone who's a, is a green card holder yep um, and n- not so how about someone who is uh, someone who's of can it can a full American citizen? It does not apply. Th- would it not? It would not, ap- it would no. not apply, apply, right? If you're a naturalized citizen, you cannot apply. And this, you know, part of this conversation is what you were talking about in the beginning, right? What is the baseline for Cambodian refugees into the U.S. and their starting point? You know, there was a resettlement program by the government, but there wasn't really, and so it was this idea, you give them shelter, you give them, you know, safety, that they're not in, you know, in a place of genocide, but here they are with trauma and all kinds of issues that they don't have resources for. Right, and then just like kind of close your eyes and yada, 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 it'll just, it'll work work itself out. And part of that was this lack of understanding of what it meant to be a green card holder, a permanent resident, right? And the idea that there should have been resources and pathways for these families to naturalize and become U.S. citizens. But that wasn't there. So, so that, so that, the context, you know, that's now many decades old, set sort of a perfect. So, so post nine eleven, um, these these start happening, and then do they, do they ramp up under the previous administration? Um, and you know, I mean, this this got ice got a lot of press, um, yeah. under in the in the Trump era, it, yeah. but these deportations were also going yeah. on before that as well. Uh, deportations have been going on since um, since um, the agreement 
was made between Cambodia and the United States. So it is um, an equal op. The, <laughs> the Democrats and the Republicans have been equal yeah. opportunity yeah. deporters. Right. Right. We'd so. like to blame everything on Trump, but, but that in, is including not our a current president, yeah. who's the tough on like the yeah. so right. the the um, and, and maybe sort of say a little bit about uh, the, the, the Cambodia also pl- the, the the government of Cambodia played a role in. You know, what, how did it initially respond and uh, change its uh, approach to what did it think about having um, these uh, th- these individuals sent back? The, the, the negotiations um, were secret, were in secret. The repatriation agreement was in secret. And um, um, but it's it's understood. Because, of course, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's understood. It's understood that the the, the Cambodian government certainly wouldn't risk um, something like, uh, you know, uh, you know, risk any like sort of like discontinuation of future visas, right? You know, wouldn't coming coming to the U.S. Right, right coming you, to the U.S. Yeah, uh, you know, any kind of risk that would that would cut money back and forth, right? You know, so would, so you're you're saying in like their risk reward calculation of the government oh, Cambodia, absolutely. like, look, you know, if it we we're not we're not super happy about these these people being sent back but if we think about if we say no and we have a um how, how do what are the what are the numbers like how many people in total are we talking about who get sent back to Cambodia the, i think i mean there are thousands that have order okay. of removal but uh I, we collaborate wor- with a local organization in Cambodia there are 700 around 700 that have been yeah over 700 removed. Yeah. yeah now one thing that i i just you know, I didn't realize um, uh, that th- that that some some of them they actually have uh, there's a there's a, a silver lining um, and they uh, through through your own work and advocacy. I mean, may- maybe do you want to give plugs to some of the those organizations that help advocate for um, sort of legislative change or. Um, uh, in 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 terms of rethinking this policy, uh, I mean, I think I think there's uh, the the fight has been ongoing since this has happened. Um, um, to uh, mix success <laughs> <laughs> because people are still being deported. Yeah. So um, yeah, um, and certainly this policy applies to all immigrant. You know, yes. um, not only. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. But, I mean. of course, the, the case of Cambodian Americans or Cambodian refugees is very unique. You know, a lot of them have never been to Cambodia. They were born in refugee camps and got resettled here. So it, it, yeah. it, So being removed or being, you know, they, they sometimes call them the, returnees. The returnee, yeah. But they're not really returning because they've never been there to begin with. And so for a lot of them... This is their first experience. In they're almost they're almost stateless people, like yeah. right there. Well, in their imagination, as we talked about growing up in the U.S., you know, Cambodia is this place that their parents know of grief and loss and genocide and trauma, and so that is their imagined reality for Cambodia. So when they arrive there, it's you know, it's it's a difficult transition. Yeah, I mean, stateless. Um, uh, they would say that their 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 home is the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, they they also were uh, born in Cambodia or a refugee camp, but made in the USA. <laughs> you know, yeah. And so, um, hardly stateless. Um, 
you know, but to your to your to um, to your uh, question earlier, um, during the organizing campaign for the for the for the first eight I mentioned, um, um, what was what was it was um, very tough. It was sad, um, but there was some. There's a beauty in the coalitions that we built, right? With not just other Southeast Asians, but with um, with groups who advocate for um, better policies for Latinos. We built coalitions with Black Lives Matter, and of course, we um, created these sort of national alliances with um, different um, organizations across the country. Um, we already were working with people like uh, places like the Southeast Asian Resource Action Center in D.C. We were with Asian Americans Advancing Justice. Um, and so, um, what other, there are so many, yeah. there are so many, I, I can't even remember. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was tasked with a lot of this. I, I can't remember anymore. <laughs> but was the, was the, well, yeah. Did the, the community, um, like the local Cambodian and, and other, other populations who were subject to deportation, I get, did they, uh, was this a, was this a pretty passionate cause for them? Did they, 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 they did they come out and, and well, support? I mean, they were fighting for their loved ones, right? Their yeah. spouses, their siblings. And I think to the credit of the people that organized in Minnesota, they really tried to shift the mentality of the community, right? This idea of, you know, the shame of criminality or being a convicted felon. They they wanted to re- reject that and say, you know, that, doesn't, that I, part of their identity doesn't really matter. We're still fighting, you know, to keep fathers with their children or you know so are, like is there is there a particular egregious example of maybe someone who um was you know rightly or wrongly convicted of a crime decades before and then this they were just caught in a you know had been had been dotting all their i's and crossing all their t's ever since but um you know are there other examples like that of not not that the other ones are any more just but yeah i i, I hear what you're saying and 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 there are, yeah. I mean, I think um, I think there were a number of examples of of individuals who really were living ordinary lives after incarceration. They had um, they had come home. They'd rebuilt their lives. Some of them started families. That they had. Um, They're doing everything they were supposed to do. They were they yeah. were they were they were leading productive lives that we paying know, taxes and everything. Paying <laughs> taxes and um, and because uh, because of uh, kind of. Yeah, be, just because the Department of Homeland Security and ICE, <laughs> you know, needed to flex, right? They got caught in this web, right? Um, but I, I think, to Marina's point, I think what was what I was very proud of um, in the campaign, in terms of like the families' organizing efforts, was to really reject um, respectability politics of like who deserves to to stay with their families and who doesn't, right? Yeah. Depending on their conviction, depending on their, you know, depending on um, what they look like, depending just to question the policy outright. Like, yeah, just to yeah. challenge. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know, listen, some of these, some of these um, mistakes that were made, and that they served time for and came home, these are very serious, uh, you know, things that happen, right? And some of them were less serious, right? Some of them were uh, a fight gone wrong. Some of them was like criminal damage of a window. Some, you know what I mean? Right. And and. Um, wrong f- and wrongful conviction, you know, and drug offenses and things like that. And but to reject that and say no, right. we should not be doing this, this at is, all. Yeah, 
we should, and we shouldn't be doing this to anybody. All deportations, right? You know, yeah. you know, and so the, the crime doesn't really matter. You know, we get that question a lot in our work, like, well, what did they do? And the the crime doesn't really matter, right? I mean we have to look at the bigger picture of the U.S. criminal justice system and what does it mean to be, you know, have public defenders and be a brown person in poverty and going through the system, right, and all of this consequence. And the idea that the criminal justice system really and criminal convictions don't really kind of collaborate or are in communication with U.S. immigration systems, right, and so the consequences are not visible. And so... The crime doesn't really matter because our stance is all fathers deserve to be with their children or all sons deserve to be with their parents and spouses with, you know, and so so that's really where the narrative should be. To say nothing that people are getting, you know, like double jeopardy or double penalized for, you know, um, people like serving their time, whether or not you think that's, but then also having this huge like and, and, and maybe even more catastrophic than jail, like it's dis- dispossession and um, deportation, like I can't even mm-hmm. imagine. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the Cambodian case, um, uh, and all of that is, all of that is correct. Um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the um, slogans and one of the organizations we worked with, not one more, that means literally not one more person should be deported. And that the way that Cambodian um, families and uh, and Cambodian individuals were incorporated into this society, um, you know, uh, impoverished neighborhoods, under-resourced schools, all these things, over-policed communities, all these things ought to be mitigating factors in cases in which they literally could be plucked out and put into a country they've never been to, where they know very little about and don't speak the language. Does that make sense? Yeah. But like what you were asking earlier, do we have cases? Yes, we have so many stories of men and women that, you know, after serving their time, rebuild their lives and got married and started families and small businesses and all kinds of different things. And then 10, 15, 18 years later, you know, yeah, they're plucked away. I mean, the, the 1996 law also is retroactive, so even if you committed a crime before 1996. It really? Yes, it still counts. Yeah, pre-96 conviction yeah. Could, could, could be activated. Yeah. Yeah. Something that might surprise some of our listeners, and there's a you know, very thin silver lining, some of these um, were reversed, or some people were allowed back into the United States. Is that right? Like, do you have, like is, it, is, it, is it Shorty was one of the cases that... Uh, he, was was never that? De- he was never deported. He was never deported, okay. He, he, he received... He got his green card back, and actually, I th- yeah, um, he was not he was not deported. There have been cases, um, there have been cases in which uh, deported individuals have re- been returned, but they're so rare. They're so rare, and um, you know, okay. So, so those are pre. So the so the people getting their green cards back before they're formally deported. Yeah, that that's that's there's once, slightly once more. Once you of enter those. removal proceedings, you are um, you are going to be deported. So there, there are many different levels. I mean, like we said, the the case of the Minnesota Eight, there were eight men, right? And three were able to f- successfully fight their removal orders and stay, Shorty being one of them that, that you're 
okay. uh, discussing, but they were never deported, you know, and then the other five were, but. But yeah, but I mean, this visibility and like, I guess putting some, giving the community, I think the, the, uh, you know, like their, their stories seem pretty important um, because um, I think for, you know, for people who are, are citizens and take for granted that to, to see how, you know, how it, how it interacts in, in some of their lives and, and the, you know, the families that they have and the, the, you know, productive member societies that they are, the society that they are, you know, like again, they sh- no one should be reported, but like, I think it, it's persuasive to uh, a fence sitter, um, you know, when they see how it affects um, yeah. some of these people that are pretty. Yeah, I think, I, I think the Cambodian case um, is, um, it's very, should be concerning to people who are interested in, um, what do they call it, uh, equality, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, well, Liberty, it, equality, democracy, justice for all. And, and, and it raises questions about who counts, who counts as members of the society. How do you become a member of the society? Like, how do you actually, you know, other than being born into it, you know, we're going through the process of naturalization, how, you know, who counts, who's worth it, you know? And um, one of the things I, I, I shared was that you really cannot tell the story about um, Asian American life without the Cambodian story. And you can't tell the story about immigration in the United States without the Cambodian. You, you stole you stole my question, although it was yours <laughs> to be it was yours to begin with. So yeah, can you can you tell I guess how why why can't we tell the story of America and America Asian America without the Cambodian experience? Because because I think it um, well, I mean, um, to the earlier point about things like the model minority, right? Um, I think it um, it complicates <laughs> it complicates that, right? In some ways, it violates that, right? You know, and it yeah. like pokes pokes very serious holes in that um, that kind of like trope and that narrative of um, uh, you know, do everything you're supposed to do, work hard, you know, um, and you'll be all right. It it, it it challenges that completely. And so, and you can't tell the story about um, immigration. You can't st- tell the story about immigration because um, these are folks who came here um, running, you know, fleeing something. And fleeing something that the U.S. had a pretty heavy hand in helping to create, you know. Um, are, you, are you trying to tell me, Vichat, that, drive, that dropping 2.4 million tons of ordnance on that Cambodia didn't that, 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 that didn't help with that didn't help in cultivating stabi- stability in the country, <laughs> supporting the <laughs> right man, right wing strongly? You're, you're, are you saying that, right that, that right these are part of our that's part of our story? These are uncomfortable parts of yeah. of the narrative that that, that 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 question all of the sort of you know the. Our, 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 our founding principles, um, mm-hmm. but are important parts of understanding. If we really, if we really want to understand, uh, right. I think that, so then you're only going to do that if you, if you, if these, if these, um, and, and even assumptions like model minority, if those are, and those can be, those, those can be deflated and popped by, um, exploring cases that, that are absolutely kind of, kind of blow up that, those myths of, of, of who we are as a country. And there's a danger, and because really championing and highlighting those cases in which, come on, you know, uh, he, look, he has 
look at these pictures of him and his kids and, you know, and all that, like, you know, remove him. And he's been holding a steady job for 15 years. That is respectability politics 101. And that. So it, it still it stills allows you to discriminate against that, um, the others who don't fit. That's the, another version of the yeah. model minority. <laughs> yeah, right, if you're you if know. you're not gonna yeah, and so and I understand why um, organizers and why um, uh, why political advocacy groups would do that because you need to do that right you you know they're marketing like there are different ways and I don't blame anybody to do for doing that because um, a win is a win right you know but but that's also another sort of version of um, model minority politics respectability politics that I think. Um, we have to be careful about. Mm-hmm. So, where do you where do you think the um, it's, it's the, the the concluding part of yours was sort of futures? Where do you see the future of of that community of sort of research on um, uh, the kind of populations and issues that you're talking about? Where do you see where do you see the 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 research heading? Both of you. I don't know. I think part of what we try to imagine that even. If these men and women are caught up with this, you know, <laughs> deportation machine that the U.S. has created and are removed and are in Cambodia, they are still part of our community, right? They were still responsible for making sure that they are supported in many. So, the, you know, that is part of what what drives this collaboration to continue to support them. So part of our work, I think, initially when we first went to Cambodia to kind of learn more about the experience of family separation and what that all means. Uh, we decide, we made a, a commitment, you know, that we're going to continue to uh, generate resources and to continue to support uh, the Cambodian refugee community while they are there. And that's what we've done. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't have much else to add other than, you know, I just, I think that, <laughs> I think um, none of this is, none of the, I mean, just not not blindly hopeful, but I think staying hopeful is the only reason to keep going, and Cambodian families have always kept going. I mean, the things that my own family has been through, and the things that the families I know have been through, and to and to know that they're going to keep going, swinging and Survivors, fighting, yeah. <laughs> fighting, even when they're going down, you know, that's the future. Um, Cambodian American families. Well, we can't end on a better note than that. Uh, uh, Chat Marina, thank you f- so much for joining us. Will you, will you come back again soon? Absolutely. Thank yeah. you, Eric. Okay, we'd thank love to you. hear you again. Bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Southeast Asia Crossroads. We would like to give thanks to Tantra Kuhn for the use of his track, Electric Can, and a thanks to our audio producer, Amelia McCoy. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you tune in next time.